0: I should say welcome to everybody to the uh, Sports Measure History seminar uh, brought to you by the British Society of Sports History in collaboration with the Institute of Historical Research. Um, Our speaker this evening is Barbara Hawley. Um, Some of the lucky people in this room might have heard Barbara speak at our our conference, um, which happened uh, last year, last August. Um, And today, she's going to be speaking to us about Speedway. Uh, Barbara is a former philosophy and religious studies teacher. Um, she's currently in the middle of her PhD, um, being supervised by Matt Taylor and Dave D, a formidable team, I'm sure, to be supervising. And she's also a licensed speedway referee, and has been since 2006. And so you can really see that this is a passionate subject for Barbara, something that. She, Part of her everyday life as well as her research life so uh, please take it away barbara
1: okay thanks well I'll, uh, I'll share screen first okay here we go now this was the front page headline that hit readers of the daily mirror on the 20th of february 1928 and it was england's first sight of australia's big sport Now, as you can see, with uh, six pictures and no other story on the front page, it was a headline-grabbing event. Now, the event in question took place the day before at High Beach in Essex, where 3,000 were expected to turn up to what had been advertised as a dirt trap meeting, the current rage in Australia. The anticipated 3,000 spectators turned out to be over 30,000, a number which the Daily Mirror described as a surprise, but perhaps an indicator of the potential interest and following that this new sport might generate. Now the Times was um, a little more circumspect, describing the new sport as remarkably thrilling, It went on to explain the main spectacle is provided by the cornering. Now, this is the broadsiding, as it was known, um, and then explained how this was achieved. Now, remember, this is the Times. The back wheel revolves at such a considerable speed, the Times correspondent explained, that it sets up a gyroscopic action, and this opposes the natural tendencies of the centrifugal force. And it is this gyroscopic action which enables the riders to keel over at such staggering angles. The Daily Herald simply described it as an afternoon of thrills with breathless excitement prevailing as the roaring machines take the bends. Here is a picture of exactly that broadsiding, that leaning over as you take the corners. Now, although both the USA and South Africa had enjoyed various forms of motorcycle racing early in the 20th century, it was Australia which really laid claim to inventing what would become universally known as Speedway. Though it was first known in England as dirt track racing, which sort of says it all, really. It was motorcycle racing on a track of loose dirt, although later using shale as the racing surface. And this new sport had taken Australia literally by storm. And it was largely thanks to two Australasian entrepreneurs, uh, A.J. Hunting and Johnny Hoskins, that it was brought to Britain in 1928. Two Englishmen who helped to get Speedway started in Britain do also need to be mentioned. Lionel Wills, a Cambridge undergraduate at the time and member of the Wills tobacco family and so presumably not without some influence and Stanley Glanfield who'd been embarking on a round the world tour at the time on his Rudge motorcycle and sidecar as you do. Wills was responsible for paving the way for Speedway's introduction into Britain by urging the ACU, the Auto Cycle Union, to allow this new sport to be raced in the country. Now, this was clearly an opportunity for enterprising and forward-looking innovators. And whilst Glanfield and Hunting combined forces, To get a team of Australian riders over to England to help establish the sport, Wills had encouraged Hoskins to travel to England in order to assist in its introduction. Uh, He was also instrumental in setting up a speedway track at Crystal Palace after seeing the possibilities of racing around the football pitch, although to be fair, most speedway tracks were built on the inside of dog racing tracks. uh, And that's a relationship which has continued in many parts of the country uh, up until today. Now, following the High Beach meeting, there was an enormous, and I do not exaggerate, an enormous upsurge of new tracks with at least 655 meetings taking place at 47 venues, different venues, by the end of 1928 alone. Now, most of these were situated uh, in or around London. However, eight were in the Midlands with Birmingham actually hosting three different tracks and Coventry two. And during the following year, no less than 68 tracks had been licensed. Now, this particular track was at Caxton Gibbet, which is just west of Cambridge. Now note the makeup of the crowd and I shall be calling your attention back to it later on. Now clearly there was a bandwagon onto which many jumped in order to make a fast buck. Stenner, Speedway editor of the Daily Mail, later described some of those who tried as, wonderful phrase here, get rich quick Wallingfords and some of these so-called promoters set up tracks which had absolutely no hope of paying their way. Um, It's uh, even said that the term dirt track flotation was used to describe these highly speculative share issues and actually originated from some of the very precarious financial experiences of those early dirt tracks. So by 1932, only 16 tracks remained, but, by the late 1930s, Speedway had not only regained lost ground, but was positively forging ahead as one of Britain's most popular spectator sports. The World Speedway Final in 1938 was held at Wembley Stadium and attracted a record crowd of over 93,000. And here, is the 1938 champion, the Australian champion, who won the great prize in front of that record crowd. Annual attendances at Speedway in the UK rose from three and a half million in 1937 to over six and a half million at its post-war resumption in 1926, sorry, 1946, long war, to a staggering 12.5 million attendances in 1949. Speedway was quite simply huge. Incidentally, the BBC even broadcast some of the heats of that 1938 final direct from Wembley at the prime time of 9.30 in the evening. And it was sandwiched between Billy Cotton and his band show at nine o'clock and act two of Catalini's opera Lorelei at 10 o'clock. So half an hour of prime time radio is clearly evidence of how important Speedway was at that time. Now, even in 1933 and 1934, when numbers were lower, the Times reported over 80,000 had attended the Speedway test matches against Australia held at West Ham. And this is one of those early test matches. As you can see, Australia there in the front uh, and the uh, the British Lions at, at the back there. Um, so... Over 80,000 attended these sorts of meetings in 1933 and 34. Even when those numbers were were lower, and weekly league attendances at Wembley in 1946 averaged 50,000. Um, now I'm showing you this slide really because I don't really want you to look at the riders, okay? I want you to actually look at the crowd. I mean, the crowds were very large indeed. In the provinces, they tended to be slightly lower, but Birmingham Perry Bar, for example, could still garner considerable support. And promoter Len Marshall stated in his program notes at the end of 1949, that the average attendance for home matches had been 38,000 with an attendance record of 41,369 on the 13th of June, when a Golden Helmet match race took place between local star Graham Warren, and we'll come back to him later on, and Jack Parker, who was ranked as the current world number one at the time. Now, by way of comparison, Birmingham City Football Club had an average attendance of 38,453 in 1949, so that's fewer than five hundred. Uh, uh, fewer than 500 uh, more than the Speedway crowds. Now, an interesting measure of the immense support the sport enjoyed was indicated by the Speedway News of 1947, which reported that at the Deers Park Stadium in Tamworth, here in Staffordshire, out of a population of 12 and a half thousand, a staggering crowd of over 10,000 attended the opening meeting. Comedian and speedway enthusiast George Formby opened the new sports stadium, which could accommodate over 15,000, with 6,000, no, 5,000 actually, under cover. The following month, Formby became, at his request, the team mascot, and the following year, instituted the George Formby Cup. Now, having an internationally known film actor as your mascot, I would imagine would have encouraged many of the locals to join and to support their Speedway team. But the fact that Speedway could attract so many of the local population is witness to the extent of the popularity of the sport in the late 1940s. In terms of community involvement, the local Speedway team represented the geographical location. And Speedway teams were, were named after literally the town or city they represented. So we got Coventry uh, or the Coventry bees, the Wolverhampton wasps before they became wolves, uh, Birmingham, uh, New Cross, Wembley, Hackney Wick, and so on. So when teams achieve particular success, The local community was able to take pride in their achievements. Similarly individual riders could become what Huggins uh, and Williams described as a strong focus for local identities. Uh, Think Graham Warren of Birmingham for example. So why did Speedway attract so many spectators? Well I would argue that there are many reasons why Speedway became so popular and I will allude to them presently, but I would first like to concentrate on two particular aspects of Speedway that I think helped made it become so hugely popular. Firstly, the sheer excitement and feeling of modernity Speedway seemed to engender. And secondly, the important role of women in Speedway. Now I've already mentioned the inherent excitement of the sport. And when Speedway first hit the UK in 1928, it was unlike anything people had hitherto witnessed. So riders on stripped down road motorcycles racing around oval tracks at great speed. As you can see, they're in close proximity for four laps and all with no brakes. Not since the chariot races of ancient Rome, wrote E.M. Wright in the Sunday Pictorial, or the tournament of medieval days, has the public been provided with a spectacle as this new dirt track racing. And With speed came excitement. With each race taking, depending on the size of the track, around one minute, the excitement of the crowd was palpable. The 1948 BAFTA nominated film, Once a Jolly Swagman, uh, nothing to do with Australia, by the way, um, starred Dirk Bogard as a young guy who takes up speedway riding. That was filmed at New Cross Speedway and ably captured the excitement of the crowd. And even the Times review of the film noted the enthusiasm and excitement of the crowd scenes containing, by the way, both Uh, male and female spectators, uh, which would presumably have simply reflected what the director, Jack Lee, saw as the real life experiences uh, of most spectators. It was, of course, a new sport and offered something very different from other sports. American uh, speedway rider Sprouts Elder, one of the early pioneers of dirt track racing, described Speedway as so exciting. Once you get the Speedway habit, you look upon bullfighting as a kind of dairy farming, he claimed. The editor of the Speedway News, over a decade later, noted that to the critic, Speedway may seem boring. In essence, it's four riders racing around an oval circuit for four laps many times over. Nevertheless, he added, to the lad or lass who goes once a week, it packs thrills and excitement. From the very beginning, the public was told for sheer thrills, dirt track racing takes much beating. And even when it was on one of its downward curves, it was still described as the sport of thrills. And so it must be concluded that many of the public were drawn to Speedway by what they saw as the quintessential excitement of the experience. It was not long before league racing was introduced. Test matches were arranged between England and Australia, uh, much in the line of cricket tests, Uh, and British Championships and indeed World Championships took place usually at Wembley Stadium, all of which provided opportunities for spectators to get behind their teams and encourage their teams to win by shouting themselves hoarse, because of course you did have to get over the noise of the bikes to be heard. Uh, There's an interesting letter in the programme of the 1946 Speedway Riders' Association annual ball, it carried a letter which attempted to distill what made Speedway so popular. This is what the, the writer said. We take up position at our regular spot. Even the air brings the excited smell of burned racing oil. The atmosphere is already tense, electric as the clock approaches the time for the commencement of the meeting the tension increases flags wave rattles rattle people cheer in fact excitement slides into top gear four men in their machines in a fighting bunch hurl themselves into the first bend then out along the back straight but watch our home captain he's moving up into the bend can he do it out they come shoulder to shoulder They tear along the straight into the next bend. Terrific riding. He's done it. The Sunday pictorial correspondent interestingly went on to conclude, in a word, it, that is speedway, is a sport for which a restless age, impatient of cricket and greyhounds, has been waiting. It was a course, of course, a time when speed, whether it be on four wheels At Brooklands uh, or in the air as aviation began to take off. Sorry about that. They were redolent of a new age and dirt track racing speedway clearly fed into this. Uh, Williams noted for example the trend in British culture to celebrate speed. A great picture here by the way of Australian's Frank Dolan. You might recognize the second from the left rider, uh, that's Vic next to his brother Ray Duggan. Uh, Vic led out the uh, Australian team in that 1935 uh, uh, test match. Um, and we got Cliff Parkinson on the right. Uh, they were the first Australian riders to travel by aeroplane uh, from Australia in 1949. And they were coming to join Haringey, which was starting up again after the war. Um, I think the Australian cricketers were still traveling by boat at this time uh, when the the, the riders made it by aeroplane. Photos like this with Speedway bikes parked in front of an aeroplane speak to a technological modern future in the present. The future was here and now, and you were looking at it in this picture. Uh, By the way, love the guy who's just standing there in the nose cone. You can just see him. In her article on woman and the sport fetish, Fiona Skillen draws attention to an advertisement in the Tatler, which focuses on a flapper uh, and alludes to speed, technology and excitement, all of which were seen as aspects of modernity. And we could see that Speedway fulfilled all of those criteria, speed, technology, excitement. In fact, a letter to the Nottingham Journal noted how popular Speedway was becoming. They, that is the Speedways, seem, it said, to exude the spirit of the age. Speedway was not at the periphery, but was very much a dynamic part of sports culture in the 30s and 40s. It was in the, the foreground of the new sports, that is sports that were developed in the 20th century and reflected modernity in the developing technology they required. Uh, the already alluded to great American dirt track rider, Sprouts Elder, wonderful soubriqués, his real name was Lloyd's uh, Lloyd, uh, they know, or He noted the steady improvement in Speedway motorcycle design as manufacturers such as Douglas, Rudge and Jap responded to the needs of the Speedway riders by redefining and refining their designs and technology as requested by the riders using their experience of road motorcycles. Uh, the Track Licensing Committee of the ACU noted in its minutes of November 1929 that Rudge had recently marketed a 600cc machine. However, the ACU had strongly recommended limiting it to to 500cc for Speedway. And that is how it stayed and still is today. Conversely, of course, road motorcycles also benefited from the improvements of Speedway bikes, both in terms of their own design and technology. So quite simply, ordinary motorcycle design and Speedway were in a very useful symbiotic relationship. Now remember that Speedway was also different and that it was a totally commercialized sport. Uh, No gentlemen amateurs here. Unlike most other spectator sports, Speedway did not have an amateur past. Uh, There were very few, and I mean very few, amateur Speedway riders. Instead, it arrived as a commercial professional package. Another sign of how different it was from other sports that people were familiar with. In other words, another sign of how new, how modern it was, And its heroes, like Holt's uh, professional cricketing heroes, were ordinary men who had made good, and some of them even became sporting icons for the nation. Uh, For J.B. Priestley, Speedway, unfortunately, was, and I quote, an orgy of silliness and passive mechanical enjoyment. But alongside Woolworths, Greyhound Racing, Cigarette coupons and the like, he saw Speedway as a manifestation of the emerging American style New England that was taking over the country, i.e., different, modern, futuristic. Speedway also offered something else that was new and modern, at least in its early days, namely that women were allowed to race against the men and that women were encouraged to attend Speedway. Jennifer Hargreaves and Eric Anderson's assertion that women in the interwar years were redefining themselves while still assimilated to a male dominated system is clearly borne out by the early experiences of women who rode in the newly introduced dirt tracks of 1928. Now, you may ask how all this impinged on the late 1930s and 40s, but it is the start of a legacy of female involvement that continued throughout the 1930s, the 40s and beyond. So it's worth taking some time to look at this new phenomenon. Now, Faye Taylor, you see here, was the most famous and successful of these women, dracers, as they were called an accomplished gymnast, grass tracker, scrambler and horse rider, as well as an experienced motorcycle trials rider. Taylor rose to prominence through her achievements on the track, not only in match races against other women riders, most notably Eva Asquith, and here she is alongside uh, Eva. So not only did she manage to do that, but she also managed to very successfully uh, race against the men and moreover beat them. She famously held the Cinders Trophy, a competition involving riders representing their country to try to break the track record at Wembley. And on Saturday, the 6th of June, 1929, Taylor broke the track record with a time of 20.8 seconds. And that was a record which was not beaten by anyone for over a year. And it took an Australian uh, male champion, Max Grosskreutz, to eventually beat it. There were other uh, female riders who also made the grade. Clearly, a woman riding speedway against the men was unconventional at the very least and would have attracted general interest, but Faye Taylor. Eva Asquith, Gladys Thornhill, Dot Cowley, Babs Neild, Sunny Somerset, Billy Smith and Lulu Rochester were all capable, in fact very capable, of holding their own. Of course, not everyone favoured the idea of women racing against the men. Biological determinist arguments, it was improprietous, it was too dangerous – And following an accident in which a woman had to be treated on track after an injury, some promoters felt that it was no longer appropriate for women to race on track, coupled with some insurance companies also refusing to cover them. But above all, it will be bad publicity for a new and upcoming sport if a woman to be seriously injured or, God forbid, be killed on the track. Maybe it was a publicity ploy to have women ride, maybe not. But the fact remains that for two years, this sport welcomed women riders alongside the men. And it was a legacy that people remembered. I mean, if you think Sir Chris Hoy, who I think got his first Olympic gold in 2008 and, and eight. And this having that sort of knock-on effect, so building up a legacy, others building up on what he did. And it culminating in Britain, topping the cycling medals um, at the 2020 Tokyo Olympics in cyclings. So they were, if you like, the people starting to build this legacy, which others continued later on. Uh, Here you can see um, Faye Taylor, by the way, uh, with Buster Frogley. Now in no other major sport was this, uh, women racing against the men, was this allowed to happen? Newspapers reported warm receptions from the stadium crowds. Miss Taylor delights the crowd, a tremendous ovation. One of the most thrilling races of the afternoon certainly suggests that the majority of Speedway uh, spectators enjoyed the on-track exploits of the women riders. The Nottingham Journal, under the headline, Crowd Mob Miss Taylor, went on to report on a meeting at which a record crowd of 10,000 attended. The main attraction, it said, no doubt, was the appearance of Miss Taylor. Everyone had been waiting to see her compete, and it is a fitting tribute to her prowess as a dirt track rider to say that no one was disappointed for she was pitted against Fred Strecker, no mean rider, in two match races and did well in both. I think we take it from that that she probably didn't win, but there it is. Both riders were tremendously cheered and when leaving, Miss Taylor's car was literally mobbed by the crowd. So such adulation seems to run counter to any claim that the public were ambivalent towards women who took up these manly sports. But it should also be mentioned that Speedway was forging new ground with Alice Hart, pictured here, Phyllis McQuillan and Nora Booth, all women who led their male Speedway teams as managers, Bellevue, Newcastle and Halifax respectively, in the 1930s, 1940s and 1950s. The Speedway News reported in April uh, 1939 that the only thing Miss McQuillan doesn't do is look after the machines. Well, neither did Speedway impresario Johnny Hoskins, so who cares? These women were able administrators, managers, and they knew their Speedway, and this was simply clearly recognised. Miss Hart, as she was always respectfully addressed by the riders, kept Speedway going at Bellevue, even during the war years. Under her leadership, Bellevue staged 176 meetings during World War II, attended by no less than 2,816,000 spectators. Female participation was a legacy that no one could take away from Speedway. Now, you'll remember that I asked you to take particular note of the crowd in the photograph on the left. It will give you a clue as to possibly the main reason why I believe Speedway Speedway was so popular in the 1930s and 40s. And here you can see the seeds of it. Look at all the cloche hats, so popular in the uh, 1920s. There are quite a few of them. Uh, Here and they, of course, belong to the women, and there are quite a few women in that crowd. Speedway was famously regarded as a family sport, and one which particularly attracted and welcomed women supporters of all ages. Mass observation noted in 1948 that Speedway meetings were seen as having an atmosphere in which, and I quote, Spectator participation was very strong. Now, the photograph on the right shows mostly women supporters about to board a coach to take them away to an away meeting. Now, whilst Nicholas Fischerick's assertion that most working class sports were sexually exclusive, usually of women, may have been true of football, it was most certainly not true of Speedway. Female supporters, uh, spectators, were an accepted part of the sports culture from its beginning. The Daily Mirror noted in 1932 the extraordinary headway made by Speedway in its appeal to the sporting public of both sexes. And if you look at this uh, slide here, you will see that there are quite a number of women um, and children, incidentally, in that particular crowd. Um, that was um, a crowd scene from Wembley. Some Speedway clubs even reduce their prices uh, for women so as to encourage them to attend. Proof that a substantial proportion of Speedway crowds were made up of women is offered, uh, again, by a mass observation Steel Town Speedway count, which revealed that 40% of attendees were women. And it also noted that, and I quote, the greatest contrast among spectators is found at Speedway Racing. And it noted that the most popular attendee grouping in Speedway was that of one male and one female together. So, here's the thing. Speedway attracted not only men, but also women of all ages, and that made it stand out from other sports. It encouraged a feeling of belonging, open to all, and not just restricted to men. So the conjugal uh, sociability that Stefan Ramsden noted in Beverly in the 1950s and 60s, when older couples uh, spent more leisure time together, could actually find its antecedents much earlier on in speedway crowds. One lady supporter, as she styled herself, writing in the Speedway News in November 1946, stated that in her estimation, Speedway crowds were made up at the very least of 50% women. Now reduced working hours, statutory holiday pay were both introduced in the interwar period and increased mobility and rising wages all meant that working men and women had more leisure time available to them and speedway uh, despite its efforts in the 1930s and 40s to increase its appeal to all classes um, was a predominantly working class sport McKibben refers to it as one of the clutch of sports and he's uh, thinking here of uh, football boxing and dog racing to be found, and I quote from him, at the bottom of the social scale. Though he adds that in 1946, Speedway was still only second to football in the numbers it attracted. So the argument that young women as well as young men were prominent in the expansion of commercial leisure, both in between the two world wars and beyond is well established those increased employment opportunities, particularly in industrial areas where most speedway tracks were located, would certainly have afforded young women the money required to attend, whether with their families or in groups with friends. The young women attended speedway or that young women attended speedway is not only attested by photographs taken throughout the period under study, but again, also by mass observations letter from the head of a factory employing girls. And this is in 1948. And he noted that the girls attended Speedway because they missed the excitement of war and found that Speedway offered them both thrills and excitement. And in those days, there was also an opportunity to see celebrities at Speedway. Uh, Film stars, including Oscar-nominated ones, by the way, royalty, like Prince Philip, uh, as well as other sporting stars, often presented Speedway trophies in those days, in the 30s and 40s. Oh, and by the way, the quotation at the beginning, uh, if you didn't get it immediately, was from the Admiral of the Fleet, Earl Beatty, victor of the Battle of Jutland in the Great War. Going back to uh, mass observation for the moment, the factory owners uh, use of the term girls and the excitement craved by them, suggests young factory workers, perhaps rather more than mature women, whose first thoughts um, about the war were probably less likely to be ones of excitement than thoughts for the safety of their family, their home and possessions. Additionally, The fact that in 1950, more than 2,000 of what the local newspaper described as hysterically excited fans turned out to a book signing by Birmingham Speedway Captain Graham Warren. There he is, as I promised. Also suggests a strong younger element of female Speedway fans, as does the fact that at the wedding of that same rider the following year, the Birmingham Daily Gazette reported that Warren had to force his way through thousands of cheering fans to get to his wedding, with additional police having to be called out to control the crowds. Many, mostly teenage girls, it said, had waited in the rain outside the church for hours preceding the ceremony, Through the crush to their car, whilst fans had clung on as the car passed through the lines of people. Well, if at least some of the life stages of many young working class women were marked by a degree of personal independence and commercial consumption, then I think it can be asserted that for many of them, both in the interwar and immediate post-war years, Speedway provided a commercial leisure activity which many of them were able to enjoy. Um, And at the other end of the spectrum. Mrs. Sarah Ann Shan at 102 was in 1947, the oldest member of the Oddsall Speedway Supporters Club. So all ages. For many women of all ages, Speedway Supporters Clubs provided a means of not only showing support for their teams, but a means of socializing with others of like mind especially during the winter months when Speedway racing was not taking place. Women came into their own when it came to running the clubs and organising club activities, uh, and it wasn't just making the teas cricket style. While Sir Arthur Elvin is credited with introducing supporters clubs to Speedway, with almost 20,000 having signed up to his Wembley Speedway Supporters Club by the end of the 1929 season, Alone, some 20 years later, Birmingham could boast a supporters club which required some 20 area and executive committees, with its Cannock branch, and Cannock is just over 20 miles away from Birmingham, amassing its 10,000th member in that year. Now, perhaps the test of the strength of a team's support and the strength of its supporters club is best exemplified when the supporters club continues even when the club itself no longer exists as happened at a number of now defunct speedway clubs now as well as aiding the riders in all manner of ways from buying machine parts to knitting team jumpers and by the way it wasn't just the women who knitted the jumpers from instituting trophies and raising funds for the club Speedway Supporters Clubs clearly provided a whole network of social activities for their members. Supporters Club news regularly appeared in publications such as the Speedway News, Speedway World, and the Speedway Gazette, and sometimes with a dedicated column. Many Supporters Clubs also produced their own publications, which kept their readers up to date with activities and news of their Speedway teams. Uh, Stokes publication Five Stars, for example, was produced monthly, whilst Birmingham supporters enjoyed dope. And you probably ought to know that that was the the slang name that was given to the fuel uh, that drove Speedway bikes, which is methanol. And the Coventry Bees supporters produced their journal Honey, all of which suggests a lively and active supporters club scene and a scene which from the start included a large proportion of women and continued to do so. Such clubs provided a whole social network centred around Speedway. And here you can see the 1946 Wembley Supporters Ball. A plethora of activities were organised for members, although dances were the mainstay. No less than 12 major functions were organized for Birmingham Supporters Club members for the close season in 1947-48. Often activities were oversubscribed. Coventry Supporters Club, which had arranged a dance at St Albans for supporters on their way back from a Speedway meeting at Wembley, found that so many wished to attend, they had to book the somewhat larger Watford Town Hall, for the same event the following year. Trips to the theatre, dinners, socials, children trips to theme parks were all part and parcel of the Speedway Supporters Club Fair. Uh, there was also talk of a Speedway Supporters Choir um, and one Supporters Club sponsoring an animal at London Zoo. Um, but I can't actually confirm um, the veracity of those. I'm, I'm not sure whether that's accurate or not, but I like to think that it probably hmm. The companionship that was enjoyed amongst Speedway supporters is perhaps best summed up by northern-based Mrs Nora Booth, who announced that she felt sorry for London supporters as they never have the thrill of a whole train full of good companions for half a day or more when supporters travelled to London for major Speedway meetings. 6,000 Birmingham supporters travelled to Bellevue by four special trains, coaches and cars in June 1949, and this was not an unusual occurrence. Women could feel part of a sporting culture that both welcomed them and provided social activities for them and indeed for the whole family. So support for Speedway was not, as we have seen, limited by age or sex. And this, I would argue, was one of its greatest strengths and one of the reasons for its enormous popularity in the 1930s and 40s. Speedway relished its reputation as a family sport. And the fact that it was a non-betting sport served it well in this regard. And it was a point made in Parliament by Home Secretary, Mr. Shooter Ede in June 1947, when speaking of the difference between dog racing crowds and Speedway crowds. The latter, he said, were, in the main, made up of adolescents and, note, family parties. Four years later, MP Cyril Black, speaking in a parliamentary debate, noted that Speedway was a sport that appeals to men and to women, to the old and to the young, and whole families, parents and children attend it together, which is something very much in favour of Speedway compared with a great many other sports. P.B. Lucas, writing in the Sunday Express about Speedway, noted how women and children swell the attendance figures every bit as much as the men. Not everyone approved of children attending meetings, of course. A letter to the Times in 1938 expressed a great concern at seeing young children at Speedway matches as late as 11 o'clock at night. And whilst the Speedway news could boast in 1949 that teenagers between 12 and 16 years of age were crazy about the sport, the following year, together with youth clubs, the cinema, Radio, speedway was listed by the headmaster of Kings Norton Boys School, uh, Grammar School for Boys, as one of the rivals to study, which tempted those who should have been spending more time on their studies. Now consider all the main spectator sports of the time. It was speedway that encouraged and maintained its reputation as a family sport. Women felt able to attend with other women or in mixed or family groups. It was a sport where they did not have to stay at home to look after the children. They could take the children with them. I've chosen to concentrate on two aspects of what made speedway racing so popular in the immediate pre- and post-war periods, namely the excitement and feeling of modernity it engendered and the fact that it was a family sport, which particularly drew women into its spectatorship. But there were other reasons for its popularity. Speedway enjoyed a lot of coverage in both local and national press, though not perhaps as much broadcast time on the BBC as the Speedway authorities would have liked, given how many people followed the sport. There were also cigarette cards for those who smoked, And let's face it, a lot of people did in the 30s and 40s. It had a plethora of its own magazines, such as the Speedway News and the Speedway Gazette, as well as an array of annuals and books dedicated to it. Most newspapers had a Speedway correspondent, Tom Stenner of the Daily Mail, Basil Story of the Daily Express, Tom Morgan of the People. But those of a younger age were drawn into Speedway in their comics and annuals. As early as 1928, the Boys magazine included stories such as The Black King's Treasure, in which I quote Speedy did something that no dirt trap rider had believed possible. He wrenched his front wheel to the left, sliding his rear wheel round in a terrific skid. That laid the speed iron over at a mad angle with his engine at full throttle. Speed, so speed, daring, and courage were the hallmarks of the main dirt track riding protagonist, and presumably what made it attractive to boys and probably their sisters. The ability to ride speedway seemed to enable the heroes of the stories to do, or to do almost anything, to, uh, to even solve crimes. Illustrations of Speedway riders featured on the front covers of a number of boys' books and annuals, usually depicting an exciting first-bend struggle or other close encounters, sometimes with a fallen rider, with a hero deftly avoiding him at his own peril. Anyone taking a trip to Madame Tussauds in 1938-1939 would have seen a waxwork model of Speedway world champion Louis Wilkinson. Ten years later, a waxwork of Australian rider Vic Duggan grazed Madame Swords, and he was the reigning British riders champion at the time and here's some interesting trivia. His waxwork model, this is um, Vic Duggan's waxwork model, was displayed next to Mahatma Gandhi's. Switch on the radio on the 4th of December, 1949, and you would hear the BBC's Tuneful 20s programme in which British World Speedway champion, Tommy Price, would work his way through his melodies of reminiscent mood. And if we just tiptoe into the 1950s, we would be able to listen to a Speedway mystery play broadcast on the home service, entitled Motive for Murder. Or for those of you who currently listen to Just a Minute on Radio 4, you could tune into its forerunner, One Minute Please, devised by Ian Messiter and introduced by, by Roy Plumley. And alongside such national treasures as Yvonne Arnaud, Jean Marsh and Hermione Gingold, competing against a gentleman's team of Jimmy Edwards, Charles Heslop and Gerard Hofnung, it included a jury panel of three Speedway riders. Riders could be seen advertising all sorts of things from underwear to national savings and Ovaltine was actually quite a popular thing for the riders uh, to advertise. But my point is that in the late 1930s and 40s, everyone, unless you were a recluse, would be familiar with Speedway. It was an accepted part of the British sporting scene, watched by millions and still well known to those who did not. The ability of sport to take oneself out of the humdrum of everyday life for at least one evening in the week was important, but the camaraderie, the friendships, the social bonding, the celebrations of success both in the stadium and in post-match analyses The topics of conversation at work, both before and after a match, being part of a vibrant supporters club all have to be recognised as cementing an individual as part of a community with a particular sport at its centre and giving a particular meaning and purpose to life. One could, of course, be talking about any sporting crowd when referring to these things. The shared experiences, the tension shared, the pleasures of winning or the disappointment of losing. But the point is that Speedway provided these things for a phenomenally large number of people in the late 1930s and 40s. Not everyone would have liked it. It was a noise nuisance for some, too dangerous for others. J.B. Priestley thought it was too redolent of American culture. But an awful lot of people watch Speedway in those decades, and I think it's time historians, sports historians, sociologists—in short, everyone—acknowledge the important role Speedway played in the nation's consciousness, and how it helped to define both individual community, and national identity and agency in those interwar and immediate post Yes. thank you
0: thank you barbara for a really rich um paper um full of fantastic images as well i'm sure people have enjoyed that um at home or wherever wherever we're watching um we are nearly up to seven but let's have uh, a bit of time all right (laughs) that's all right (laughs) uh yeah um So if anybody wants to ask a question to Barbara uh, from the floor, then um, I'm happy for you to unmute and uh, fire away. Um, But maybe just in while you're gathering your thoughts, uh, I might ask you about the economic relationship between um, Greyhound Racing and Speedway, Barbara.
1: Hmm.
0: Because often they're taking place in the same location, aren't they?
1: Yes. Um, I mean, in in some ways it was a good thing. In other ways, it was a a bad thing because, because, of course, Um, if the um, greyhound racing authorities um, owned the stadium they could at a moment's notice actually say I'm sorry you're not meeting this week and they actually did that and and Speedway couldn't do anything about it Uh, but on the other hand it's been quite quite useful um, because even today the majority of Speedway stadiums are actually um, how I say Speedway stadiums I should say Speedway tracks are actually housed in greyhound stadiums but it does mean that that you do get some um some some good buildings really you know in, w- in which and, and and other amenities uh for the supporters which you don't necessarily always use to get um in purpose-built tracks um though having said that Leicester is uh today is a purpose-built track and and that's pretty good Um, So, yes, there was this relationship between them. Um, Speedway, I suppose, uh, in terms of money would be the the poorer relations. Um, Although when it came to the entertainment tax, um, uh, greyhounds were in the same bracket um, as uh, Speedway. Um, In terms of entertainment's duty, they had to pay 48% uh, as well as Speedway to the government, uh, whereas football, boxing, cricket only had to pay uh, 15%. But of course, things like horse racing and greyhounds also had betting, and and, and speedway didn't. It was a non-betting sport. Okay.
0: I can see um Malcolm, <clears throat> excuse me, Malcolm's raised his hand. Do you do you want to ask a question, Malcolm, or make a comment?
2: Uh, well, I do. Thanks. Thanks, said. Thanks, thanks, Barbara. That was re- really intriguing. Um I'd like to go back to the early points that you were making around speed and modernity rather than mm-hmm. the rather than the later sense yeah. of commentary and gender and family which really intrigued me by the way um uh and i'm uh, if i've got my time times right there's a uh, an overlap between the emergence of speedway in the northern hemisphere and the Presence of uh, the Italian fu- fu- futurist movement and its, its spin-offs, mm-hmm. the Aubrey Beardsley and T. S. Eliot and, and that crew, and in the UK, with a disturbing association with, with forms of fascism there. And I'm wondering if you've picked up anything in the literature from that strand of british futurist thinking around uh, speedway and that engagement with modernity and mass culture and so on and so forth or, is, or, or 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 were they just such posh types that they chose to ignore it
1: well the first thing i'm going to say is i'm going to duck out of this because um, my very last chapter uh, in my PhD is going to be speedway, well, and, and technology, speedway, and modernity. So that's something I'm going to come to. So I'm sorry, that's not really an answer at all. But no, uh, I and it's, and it's me give me, But that is my final chapter. So I'm just coming to it. So I'll be able to give you a much better answer to that in, I'd say, six months' time.
2: I've been in the same the same. I'm sorry, s- Malcolm. But I've been in the same position in the middle of a pr- 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 project and go. At the moment, that's a footnote. <laughs> Thank you. We have uh,
0: Chris Callows raised his hand. Do you want to unmute Chris and uh, fire away? Yeah.
3: Hi. Thanks, Barbara. That was that was really excellent. And I guess I'm a you know I'm a historian and also a kind of a speedway fan as well. And I never really picked up. You know. The, the sort of gendered element as much as you suggested there really was and I c- was completely convinced. Um, one thing I wanted to ask though and I've struggled to get my head around is are there any sources apart from the press and and kind of you know magazines and things like Johnny Hoskins mm. um, autobiography that which means you can sort of understand how clubs ran in the 1930s and, and 1940s is there anything that that survives which you know talks about their finances or You know, you you talked about sort of supporters clubs and things, but I wondered what other kinds of sources you had.
1: Mm. Um, There are some, not not as many uh, as I would like there to be. For example, I I do have um, the Coventry archive. I mean, Coventry Speedway is not running now, but the Nuneaton Speedway supporter, and Nuneaton doesn't have a Speedway club running either, but the Nuneaton Speedway supporters club um, inherited the uh, Coventry archive. So I now have that uh, on loan at the moment. So very lucky in respect of that. So there are one or two um, places around the country. More in the Midlands, I think, where snippets of these things have survived. Um, But there aren't that many other places. You you do have to go to newspapers. You you do have to um, look at, um, I suppose, um, at what MPs were saying at the time, things about the entertainment tax. So you do have to go to Hansard. Um, But there are one or two of these around. I mean, a lot were just thrown out. It's criminal, really. They They were just thrown out. Um, but there are some there are some sort of speedway uh, his, historians uh, who've, uh, you know, sort of delved into uh, the club's uh, history and have been able to, you know, um, save one or two things. Uh, and so I go knocking on their door to try and, and get and get to them. But not many, I have to say. You're right. Not many. Not much. Yeah.
3: OK, Thanks. Uh, one, one thing I was, other just very quickly, the other thing I was going to say about this, again, the late 1940s, early 50s, the thing you other, that you might have mentioned, I guess I thought, was talking about cycle speedway as well. That opportunity for people to kind of emulate speedway riders in a sense. Again, I was thinking about, you know, so many, so many people doing cycle speedway just, just as speedway is becoming popular.
1: Yes I mean yes there were I mean I, I haven't moved into that yet so that will be something I think for for the future um, but certainly yes uh, that it was very popular and of course you, you just need a bicycle and you you need a sort of uh, a sort of dirt track really I mean there, there was one in Wolverhampton I know, Wensfield part of Wolverhampton um, and um, and that was quite popular and and people could literally just sort of go along and and try it out but then it became more formally I popular. Uh, and I think there there were leagues uh, as well. Um, you might be able to say more about this at the, at the moment than I can. Um, but yeah, there were there were leagues in it and it and it still goes today. There are cycle, I think actually, where was I last year and saw a cycle speedway track? I'm sure that was in pool. I think there was one yeah. in pool. Uh, and that looked pretty substantial. Um, you know, as these things go. I mean it, it didn't have a sort of great stand or anything, but it was um it was brick built part of it and uh and, and that looked sort of fairly uh, fairly formal, not not just something that uh, you know they just happened to sort of uh, go a few laps around occasionally. It looked fairly formal, so there are places still today, and it was a place where where people could have a go, and they could you know they sort of get get a a slide going around around the bend, not quite in the same way as speedway riders, uh, motorised speedway riders, but still, yeah. So yes,
0: yeah. Thank you. Do we have any other um, questions? I wouldn't mind asking another question myself, Barbara, if you don't mm-hmm. mind. Um, but you, you were talking about the female Speedway riders. Yeah. Did they have the same social profile as, as the men, or were they...
1: Um, were they I, I would say it was even greater uh, than some of the men, um, particularly Faye Taylor. I mean, this, this only lasted two years, remember. I mean, there were others as well. I mean, some of those, you know, you saw their pictures, and they they were quite famous. I mean, whether it was, you know, because it was just so, so very different that they got that high profile. But I think... Actually, I, I will be doing Faye Taylor an injustice if I said that because she was very popular in, in Australia uh, as well um and a number of the papers said it wasn't just because she was uh, a, a woman it was because you know she was a, a very good rider um so I I think for a little while just a short while some of them um and Eva Asquith was the other one I think probably uh Maybe also um, Mrs. Billy Smith, uh, Doc Cowley, um, and Gladys Thornhill, actually, because, um, for example, Sheffield wanted to take her on. um, And the ACU or Speedway uh, Control Bureau actually said, or Speedway Control Board, as it was then, I think, actually said, yeah, yeah, it was okay. The ACU said it was okay. Um, But she couldn't get uh, any um, insurance. Uh, so unfortunately she she couldn't do that so I suppose she she became quite popular uh, in Sheffield uh, at least um, so I think yeah the profile I think from some of these women was great um, but of course it uh, people like people still remembered um, Faye Taylor after the war although I have to say she she did become a fascist and, and so we you know Speedway people obviously tend to uh, sort of um, try and and, and uh, keep that sort of side of things uh, out of the way because they're, they're not very proud of it obviously but but then something
0: um, for your final chapter at least
1: <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I can see that Jasper heeks has, uh, has his hand up would you like to uh, pitch in yeah great yeah thanks thanks a lot Barbara really fascinating uh, talk um, two questions have you or have others been able to identify why speedway declined in popularity and then the, the other question is with the australian sort of origins or the earlier days popularity there and then that coming over to britain did did that color the reaction or the reception to speedway particularly early on
1: mm, okay um thanks for that jasper um speedway decline it declined very much so we're talking here about the early 1930s yeah um and so many people tried to get on the bandwagon um and they thought oh speedway riders uh, the good ones were earning quite a lot of money there, there there's a, a quotation from them saying we were the ones who were sort of riding around in 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 big cars you know it wasn't it wasn't obviously the footballers then so there was money in that and so a lot of people sort of so-called promoters jumped onto the bandwagon and and it just fell through it, it just wasn't financially viable you know they didn't have the financial planning um uh, to support them uh and in the the literally um it, it went like this in the 1930s but then uh when I think also maybe before they introduced speedway racing as, um in leagues and tests as well, test matches, and um, they were phenomenally popular. Uh, and it all started to build up again, um, and um, and I think the people then who were promoting uh, had got a much better um, handle on things than than those early ones who who just wanted to to make a fast buck. Um, i mean it declined again then in the 1950s and came back again and 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 so it, it has had this sort of undulating history of, of of you know being very popular uh and then sort of you know going down a little bit and then coming back up again um so i i think it was really to to do with the the, the management really and and of course they needed to have speedway riders but a lot of people were willing to to try their hand i mean that that film about the once jolly smack swagman or um uh, with dirt bogard i mean that's the story of somebody who thinks maybe i can make it as a speedway rider um and does and and then walks away from it um at the end so that was the first thing about it declining um australians they were very much welcomed i th- i think um and um and the test match, I mean, there's always been this rivalry in cricket, hasn't there, between England and Australia, obviously. Uh, and I think that Speedway sort of fed a little bit into that when they'd introduced the test matches. Uh, and people were used to having anyway, um, some um, Americans, um, a lot of Australians. But then there was there were questions, uh, uh, I suppose, um, about whether they should have how many um Aliens, they were called at the time. I mean, not necessarily, uh, not necessarily um, the Australians, um, but uh, Scandinavians, Americans were were sort of known as aliens, riders. uh, And at one point they would only allow uh, a few in. So, so, you know, Australians, bigger percentage of Australians there. So I think they've always been welcome and they are still a big part of British Speedway today.
0: Okay. do we have any more questions or comments? maybe we'll wrap it up there but um I'll invite you to uh, thank Barbara again thank you very much Barbara for an excellent presentation and also for a a the questions um our next session um will be in two weeks time um when Bill Porter will be talking about the uh, the writer um, B.S. Johnson and his writing on football and um it's a really interesting subject it's very different from a lot of the papers that we've had Um, previously and I'm really looking forward to that so do do come along for that in a couple of weeks.